And that's when I realized that biking can be purely recreational. It can be a way to experience not just your city, but also the mountains or the hills that you live in. Hey, I'm Caroline, and you're listening to In Her Nature, the podcast and community where you can learn from others' experiences to make your next adventure more approachable. So Gabby, where is home for you right now? I want to hear like a little bit of your backstory, like where's home and like where are you at currently? Yeah. So right now I'm based in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I graduated college there. I went to high school there, but I also spent time growing up on Oahu, which is in Hawaii. Um, My family is from there. So I spent the formative years of my life there. Then we moved to Salt Lake City and I did school in Utah and then spent every spring, summer, winter, fall break, you name it, back with my grandparents. So I was really lucky and got to grow up in two really different and really stunning places. Oh, that's so cool. I almost went to dental school in Salt Lake at University of Utah, but I realized, I know, oh my gosh, that's fun. I realized I wouldn't do a lot of studying and I would probably be playing a lot. So we're back in Wisconsin. Okay. So I want to talk like, how was your summer? What's been keeping you busy? We've talked a little bit about how you kind of spent time out in Hawaii and then all out in Utah, but like what kept you busy this summer? Yeah, this was uh, definitely the summer of cycling for me. Um, I am the kind of person who ebbs and flows with a lot of the activities that I do. Some years are like climbing years, other years I run and that's all I do. And I'm just like, I'm going to be an ultra runner now. And this summer was all about getting back on my bike. I was living back on Oahu um, in 2021, 2022. And then when I came back to Salt Lake, I realized I just really missed pedaling um, and being able to get out on gravel roads, which the West has so many options to choose from. And that's something I just didn't want to take for granted anymore. So just been getting out a lot on the bike. Oh, I totally resonate with what you said, where you like ebb and flow through things. And so I like love that biking was your summer because it was mine too. I was pedaling a lot and kind of like fell in love with cycling, got my ass kicked by gravel riding for the first time, you know, did all that stuff. So I really love that because we don't need to be like all in all the time. You can kind of go through phases, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, I so respect people who just like know what their calling is, like what I would give. Um, But I'm a little too scatterbrained and just want to try everything all the time and figured out the best way to actually improve on it is to just pick one sport a season and go in on it. (laughs) Yeah. And I do think there's like a lot of mental like clarity and change when you're able to kind of, at least I feel personally, when you're able to kind of bounce in between a couple core sports. So I really love that. I think that's really cool. I'm always so glad to meet someone else who likes doing it that way too. I feel like a lot of my friends are like, I'm a skier and everything else is filler. (laughs) Okay. That's so funny you say skiing specifically because I think it's just that sport because I'm kidding. Also like a little bit of mountain biking, but I think there is this intimidation factor of like, I don't do it all the time. So am I actually good enough to do these big objectives, which we'll get to one of your big ones this summer. But I definitely feel that insecurity of like, I don't do this all the time. I do other things. Am I actually strong enough to do the big objectives I want to do? Totally. Identifying with your hobby and your sport can sometimes feel so intimidating, like you said. Um, 
like, I don't think I've ever identified myself as a runner or a climber per se, but I think that in the last few years, I'm like, no, like I, I do ride my bike a lot. I can say, yeah, I, I bike. It's great. I would for sure call you a cyclist. I would call you a runner. <laughs> I call you like the ultimate outdoors woman too, but okay. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Like what kind of clicked for you this summer with biking? Cause we're going to talk a little bit about a bike packing trip you took. That was so rad, but I want to talk a little bit before that, like what led up to that big trip that you took? Yeah. Um, so I guess where my biking journey really started was my freshman year of university. I had a lot of responsibilities at home at the time and just wanted to find a way to carve out some personal time for myself and was like, I'm going to commute to class on my bike because it gave me an hour each way. So it was like 24 miles round trip. And it was like, I had no experience cycling before that. Like I'd ridden my bike as a kid, but had never done any sort of distance. And I don't even know if I had, this is so naughty. I don't know if I had a helmet (laughs) the first like couple of weeks when I decided I was just going to do this. I just like bought myself a bike lock and didn't have lights, learned so much about safety while cycling that year. obviously. Um, and ended up making a lot of friends who rode their bike to get places around the city and town. And that was nice. I was able to finally see it as something that I could do for fun or to get to fun places, not just to do the things I had to do. Um, but then it wasn't until I started dating a guy in my early twenties who took me mountain biking as so many people do get started through partners, which I'm all for like, it can still be your thing and your sport, even if a partner introduces you to it. Um, And that's when I realized that biking can be purely recreational. It can be a way to experience not just your city, but also the mountains or the hills that you live in. And then I tried giving it another, a really good effort for a few years. I was like, maybe I can like mountain biking, but it turns out it is not the cycling discipline for me. I so it's feel a little that. too uh, it's a little too intimidating for me and I was really big into ultra running at that same time congruently and just in the middle of 2020 looked at my partner was like let's do the white rim trail down in southern Utah I had never ridden my bike for more than like 20 miles and I had never ridden my bike 20 miles like back to back um And so we just did it. Basically, I call it off the ottoman. It wasn't quite off the couch, but really just dove into it head first and fell in love with long distance cycling. So that's kind of how I started getting into bikepacking, really fell in love with cycling. And then, like I said, didn't really have the opportunity to cycle that much when I was back home on Oahu. Um, mostly because there's not a lot of gravel out there. It's very mountainous. It's volcanic. And then the roads, in my opinion, I think I'm just a bit of a wuss on the roads, but it's a little too intense for me. So no, I don't think there's anything wrong in being a wuss because like road biking is really, it can be super dangerous. It's a variable that's completely out of your control. So I think wuss is not the right word. I think you were self-aware and being responsible. I'm going to hype you up. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I love that story. I love, I want to like kind of talk or like touch on a couple of things that you said. So first I want to talk about safety because I think biking in general is a really intimidating sport, whether you're just like spinning at a spin class or if you're road biking or gravel biking or mountain biking, there's a thing underneath you that you have to maintain and that's really hard. 
So when you were first starting, do you remember like a couple of safety things that like really were game changers for you? Yeah, um, definitely when you're interfacing on roads that have cars on them, and this applies to gravel roads as well. Um, but I got this from the motorcycling community is you're as visible as you make yourself. So never rely on someone in their motor vehicle to see you. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, a touch and go dangerous game, but just being aware that unfortunately the impetus is on you as the cyclist to have your safety at top of mind. And that means not making risky maneuvers for me. I'm a very conservative road cyclist. If there's a red light, you should definitely always abide by traffic laws. Um, That is the best way to protect yourself and others in the community. And I think it's also part of what gives us a bad rap in cities especially and kind of creates that tension between motor vehicle drivers and the cycling folks so that's something I'd keep in mind and also with being visible bike lights oh my gosh there was a time when I thought that if it was like near dusk and the sun was setting someone would still be able to see me like nope you are not visible unless you have lights on your bike wear reflectors it is never a bad idea to just go over the top with making yourself visible. So those are kind of my two like big road tips. I love it. Let's normalize like high vis um, vibes. I've been really vibing with like the hot pink high vis. Um, I think that's just because of Barbie summer, but I love that point that you made. Like you are responsible for making yourself visible. I also would really recommend just don't listen to music, especially when you're around motor vehicles I mean on gravel roads way out there whatever it almost makes you safer because you're loud but just be mindful of like headphones no headphones you know whatever so I appreciate you breaking down some safety things no and I think you're totally right about the headphones thing like if you want to listen to music one ear pod in is fine and maybe still not totally advised but as long as you're able to hear what's going on around you I think that's a great point you bring up yeah, totally. Okay. Love the off the Ottoman vibe because isn't that like totally what it is? You don't, you're not completely couched, but you're like just close enough to the couch that you, you don't feel ready for something. So I love that. That's what you said too. Cause that's such a vibe. And I love that you brought up the partner thing. So I think a lot of our listeners are women or identify as women and the outdoor space is just generally really like male energy dominant. And so I think it's fine if a partner, old partner, ex-partner, brought you into something like own it as your own. So I really like that you brought that up. Yeah, thanks. Um, And I also want to call out for some folks, because this is something I struggled with at one point of feeling like you maybe don't want to or can't engage in a sport that your partner introduced you to because it's their territory in your mind or like you're going to see their friends. But you can absolutely create your own community and enjoy it in a way that makes sense for you as long as you love it, that's all that matters. Like don't stop doing something someone else introduced you to just because you don't hang out anymore. (laughs) That is just something I had to tell myself many times looking in the mirror. (laughs) Yeah. I could not co-sign that more. And I think even that goes for like girlfriends. Like if you started something with a girlfriends and like they're no longer into it or you try to introduce something, like I think that's such a good point. Like just make it individual. Don't don't extrapolate your feelings too far. Just enjoy it for what it is and keep moving. And obviously, if there's more trauma, you got to unpack that. But let's keep it surface level because I love that. And I think that's like such a good point. Okay, so we talked a little bit about the different styles of writing you've done. Can you 
speak to gravel and like why you're really vibing with that or what style of biking are you really vibing with right now? Yeah. Um, so I do really enjoy gravel. I think it's because it's challenging in the ways that road cycling can present. I mean, some of these climbs are wildly intense, but without the cars. And that's what I love. I have always loved endurance sports. Um, Like I said earlier, I was into ultra running for a while, had done the Teton Crest Trail and a few others um, and have loved doing that, but was also hitting a point in my late 20s where I was like, oh my God, my knee can't handle this anymore. So (laughs) went to a low impact version, which is endurance cycling. And while there are tons of incredible single track options as well for folks who want to do single track bike packing. Um, I just don't have the technical capability for some of those routes to comfortably do that and like still have fun without just feeling challenged. Like you always kind of want to meet that edge, but crossing over it too often in a single trip just becomes a little sad (laughs) for me. Oh yeah. And then it turns something that you expected to be kind of chill into like not chill. I'm freaked out. I'm not type two fun anymore. I'm like actually kind of fight or flight. And that's never fun to be for a long period of time, which I, I can totally relate to. I took a trip in May and I it was way harder than I thought it was going to be and it was more like a survival vibe not for real but like it felt like it and I was like I don't need to do that anytime soon (laughs) yeah yeah I totally hear that and I also think something to keep in mind with a lot of these trips whether you're doing it solo or with friends is bikepacking.com is a catfish okay like do not believe everything you see on trails.com or all trails whatever you know like you need to do a little more research dig into the reddit maybe look at stuff on instagram read some trip reports check out strava like definitely source your information from more than just one place because i mean a girlfriend like a group of girlfriends and i did the sky islands odyssey loop a few years back and it's rated as like only a five out of ten or maybe even a four out of ten it was not. It was not a four out of ten. There was a day that was for sure like an eight point five. Ten out of um, ten. <laughs> yeah, really, really challenged us. Um, but also, there's nothing more incredible than reaching your comfort edge with your girlfriends. Um, I found so much value out of that. Like some of these girls, we've seen each other at our lowest points, physically, emotionally, mentally, on our bikes, and knowing that you're with your girlfriends makes it so much better. Someone just hands you a little snack or they're just there to sit with you. They lay on the ground with you and then you guys push your bikes up. It's so, so valuable. Um, But yeah, definitely being careful with bikepacking.com. Oh my God. I could not co-sign everything you just said more. First off, girlfriends make everything better. Close girlfriends, like it really just adds the spice and the fun that sometimes these really intense adventures need. Like Sometimes we just need to be silly and like offload the stress in that way. And I think that's not taken seriously in outdoor settings all the time because it's like you got to be on, you got to be performing, blah, 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 blah. When in reality, you can just be like, this is super hard. Let's pause, live that, feel it, keep moving, be silly. I just like could not agree with that more. I love all girls trips. That's what this podcast is all about. That's we're trying to bottle up that vibe. (laughs) 
perfect. And I couldn't recommend more for folks. If you have a tough climb, just play Man, I Feel Like a Woman by Shania Twain over your radio and it gets you through anything. I love that so much. I also really need to get on your team of bikepacking.com is it gaslights the shit out of you if you're not careful. Yes. <laughs> it's so upsetting. It, it's oh, okay, I've got so I think we need to get into it because I've never talked to anyone else that's had this problem. But you make an amazing point, which is when you're planning these trips, like you need to get your info from more than one place. That is such a huge takeaway because I made this mistake. I got my info from bikepacking.com, which was great. I'm glad I learned about the loop we did. If I had done maybe just one ounce more of research, I would have known that it was super hard and probably not the best for a beginner. So I think you make a great point with that. What trip was it? I'm just so curious if that's okay. Okay. So yeah, of course. Well, let's get into it. So um, we did over Memorial Day weekend. So because I'm in school, I don't, I can't take breaks like all that often. So I have to squeeze stuff in and like really kind of condense parts of time. So I wanted to do bike packing. I have a gravel bike. Um, so we were like, okay, let's do it. I went with my best girlfriend and her boyfriend. It was us three. I'm super close with them. And we did this. It's called Tour de Chaguamagan in Northern Wisconsin. So the state is really cool because we have like, there was a glacier that came. So part of the state is super different than the other part. So this is like the hilly part. That's like tons of lakes, super off the grid, really amazing gravel riding. But I didn't realize this Memorial Day or early season gravel riding can be super different than fall or late season gravel riding. And I'm sure we'll get into this, but long story short, it was supposed to be a three day, two night loop, hundred miles. You camp two nights pretty reasonable. We were like, screw it. Let's do it in two days, one night. I'm sure we could do that. So we rode 65 miles gravel first day ever, literally ever on gravel. It was heinous. Like I'm sure people have done harder stuff, but I literally top three hardest things I've ever done. I'm, I'm an ultra runner. I've done triathlons. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was top tier hard. Oh so, yeah. Oh my God. Um, I'm looking at it right now. And that gravel looks wild honestly like that's some thick gravel to be okay right and so like I've spent a lot of time in northern Wisconsin and I know kind of like these gravel roads and I realize they grade them so they like make them level and kind of change the type of gravel like after Memorial Day so you have the winter gravel so it's not even like so anyway it just was so hard and so it's okay if someone suggests something like let's make it into a two-day one-night trip and you say no it's fine to say no. I wish I would have said no. So yeah, it was interesting. And then we bailed the second day because we didn't want to ride like the 40 miles back on gravel. So we like pinpoint GPS off my Garmin cities we remembered and tried to get back via that. So <laughs> which was also yeah, hard. Yeah. I think honestly, anyone who has done a bikepacking trip or has done a handful of them at some point has that exact same experience. And I'm sure we'll get into it, but I could not emphasize more to people that when you are going on a bikepacking trip, it's okay to have bailout points that you know of, that you've planned for. Um, we'll talk about my trip and how I actually ended up cutting it short um, and adjusting plans based on weather and a number of other reasons. So it's totally okay to alter your plans as long as you're having fun and you're out there and getting, I don't know, value of being on your bike and being outside. I think that's the real value of bikepacking. 
Yeah, 100%. And I do want to get into it because I'm comforted by the fact that you've had a similar experience. It was one of those where I was like, I don't even know if I can like ride gravel literally ever again. I'm so scarred. And I'm over exaggerating a little bit. But I think the point that was so hard is we just truly didn't expect it. Like, you don't think that this loop on bikepacking.com that's rated what, like three out of 10 or whatever is going to kick your ass the way it did. And it super did. So yeah, I love the point of just more than one piece of information. And sometimes like just if you have a gut feeling about something, don't change your mind. (laughs) Yes. Trust your instincts. Totally. Um, And one of the other websites I recommend people use is Ride with GPS. That's incredibly helpful with route planning, um, looking for bailout options. But like with anything else, there are times where it will say that a road is paved and you're biking on it and you're like, this shit's gravel. This is not paved. It might be maintained. It might be graded, but it is not paved. (laughs) Yeah, like if this is paved, what is? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm like, "Mm, pretty sure it's not, but that's fine. Whatever. (laughs) Just gaslight me. Literally. Okay, so let's get into it. I want to hear about your trip. So what inspired, where did you go? Can you give us like really high level? So what inspired the trip? And then like big picture, how did it go? Yeah, so you're going to realize I'm big on pivoting. Um, So I was actually supposed to go on an annual girls bikepacking trip to Canada um, during the dates that I did this solo loop. And due to quite frankly, like my lack of appropriate planning, um, had a passport snafu that prevented me from going on the trip. So this trip came together in a matter of days. <laughs> I pulled out my Google sheet where I have a bunch of different bike packing routes and loops saved and pinned and was just kind of looking at, you know, my top highlighted ones and saw this loop in Idaho called the Idaho Hot Springs Loop. I am, again, a water girl. I'm a summer girl. And even though it's summertime, I was like, I could get in some hot springs. That sounds great. So I ended up just cobbling together my route and finalizing it um, the day before I left for Idaho, Um, but also realized, okay, maybe doing a 500-mile loop isn't the move with the amount of time that I have. I do have this time off. I still want to ride my bike but that might be a little too ambitious. That might be an actual off the couch endeavor, like big picture rather than an off the ottoman. So I opted to cut it in half instead and went from Stanley to McCall and then down to Cascade, Idaho. So it was roughly like 215 miles or so. Um, But yeah, it was, uh, it came together pretty fast. (laughs) That's crazy. Talk about a pivot. You really handled that well. How do you narrow it down so quickly? I think I'd be overwhelmed by like the options. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's super helpful that I've been to Montana and Idaho and I've spent a lot of time in those places along with Wyoming, California, parts of Washington, um, just because I've had the opportunity to check out those places throughout my 20s. So I'm somewhat familiar with the conditions of these places during this time of the year and I've actually been smoked out of Idaho by trying to go too late in August, four years in a row. And fire season in the West has actually been really, really mild. So I was like, all right, this actually might be my shot to do something big in Idaho that I've wanted to do for years. Um, So I just kind of did it. Um, Also, I'd never been to McCall and it is 
I'm sorry, you might have to cut this out. Um, people might hate me for saying it, but it is as lovely as everyone says. I thought you were going to say something completely different. So that's so funny. <laughs> no, I know people can be um, really protective over, you know, the places that they call home or the places that they visit and are special to them. So yeah, don't come for me. <laughs> No, we appreciate your candidness. I think people who listen to this podcast understand that like these places are special for a reason. At least I would hope so. So so we've talked a little bit about Idaho, why you picked it. But I kind of want to hear like how did solo, how did that go? How did doing this thing solo, like I want to hear all about that. Yeah, um, I was just hitting this point over the last few months of feeling really restless and um, kind of looking for a lot of big changes in my life that are upcoming in the next year or so and needed some space and time to just sit with that, figure out what I really wanted, where I want to be going. And, um, you know, I looked at my partner and was like, you know, if you really want to come on this, you can, but I really want to do it by myself. And he was like, I'm so proud of you for telling me what you want. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it was also an effort to exercise my own agency and autonomy and just challenge myself for myself. Oh, that's so freaking cool. I wish we could just put that on a t-shirt right there. That's like so amazing. Um, I think solo travel, we did an episode on it, but it is like super empowering. And I think I love that you paired it with biking because it's a totally different experience when you're like moving through the trip. Um, how did you handle, I'm always a safety girl, but like, how did you handle the safety aspect of being solo in these remote places? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know, a lot of women especially can understand just the basic principles that were also talked about on the episode you did about ways to just be kind of street smart, essentially. I mean, I think making eye contact with people is very important. It lets them know that you're engaged, you're looking at them, you have an understanding of who they are. By no means does someone need to be like keeping tabs of every license plate of every vehicle that passes them or you would drive yourself insane. But just having an awareness of where you are, how far you are into the route, whether you're going to have cell service or not, what that looks like is so important. Um, and so just being cognizant of those things can be really helpful. Um, then when it comes to animal life, um, knowing whether you're in an area that does have predators or not, and also being aware of like chipmunks and raccoons and deer and locking up your food properly at the end of the day, because it would be so tragic to wake up with a hole in your bag. Luckily, that has not happened to me, but it is a fear of mine. <laughs> Okay, so this is funny that you brought up the non-predatory animals that you can see. So like the week after I went on this bike packing trip, we went on for my birthday. We just did like a really chill camping trip. It was just like whoever wanted to come could come. We're going to just like relax and have like a really nice time outside by Indoor County, which is like right on the water. Anyway, we go. It's a state park. It's the complete opposite of what we were doing the weekend prior. We feel pampered and like just blissful. We leave all of our stuff out and we had been biking all weekend, like all around. And we were like, we're in a park. It's fine. And we kind of, and I totally acknowledge that this was like just horrible, like stewardship too. Like, I'm not proud of this, but we're going to talk about it because I think it's important. 
So we had like a couple too many. I don't know. We were just kind of lazy and happy and like just wanted to go to bed after a great day and like woke up the entire campsite. Like I'm talking the entire campsite because raccoons were like in our stuff, like in like unzipping bags on our bikes. And I had like gels and goos in my bike that I keep in there all the time, kind of as like my emergency stash. And they literally unzipped it. And it was just my girlfriend and I, and we were like, oh my God, what do we do? So I love that you brought up the like raccoons and stuff because they won't do anything to you, but they still can like really rattle you. And then you don't get a good night's sleep and your food is all gone. Yes, 100%. Um, I Just a quick aside, I have a friend who was backpacking in Zion National Park and they went for a day hike, left all of their food and stuff just out in their tent but they zipped their tent up. They're like, it's totally fine. It's in the tent. It's safe. We're good. They came back and there was a dead squirrel in their tent because it had just gorged itself on their food and then couldn't find a way out of the tent. So they just had this like rotting creature in their tent, which is why I'm like so terrified about locking up my food on trips because also then depending on where you are, sometimes you are, you know, you're like shit out of your nutrition for the rest of the trip and that is also pretty scary to think about right so like that's a great point you just made like I was thinking if this had been a week prior we would have been totally SOL so let's talk about nutrition how did you plan for nutrition how did you kind of pack that what what was your thought process on that on your trip yeah I wish I could be the kind of person who like has it down to a science but I just like to have like this sounds so lame but like an intuitive relationship with my body and I know what I like to eat and I feel like I've gone on enough rides of varying distances to understand what I need to do to fuel so I always bring like trolley strawberry puffs um they're my favorite sugary pick me up always bringing extra electrolytes um whatever brand you like, as long as you enjoy the flavor, the taste, like that's all that matters. And then doing something, for instance, like Tailwind, where you can drink some of your carbohydrates as well. I found that really important. So that's just what I keep at front of mind. And then also bringing real food. I think it makes such a difference to have real food with you. And a lot of folks in the bikepacking community, I'm sure, are familiar with doing a variety of like rice cakes, essentially, where you, I like to do a very like Asian style where on my first day, I'll bring packed down rice with cooked salmon in between and then more rice on top. And I just kind of cut it up so that it's like a musubi. And that feels so good to eat real food. <laughs> like you're actually chewing something with substance that isn't something that you had to rehydrate either. Oh my gosh, totally. And you don't really have to get your camp stove out for that. And so I love, I just got a cookbook actually actually about making things that are like good kind of mid effort foods, but they're real food. So it's like, like little mini pies or like all this, I don't know, it's kind of like scratch. I don't know if you've seen scratch has like baking mixes. It's called, um, I'll look at what, I can't remember, it's in my kitchen, but I've been trying to like make my own stuff and um, I love that idea with the salmon. I've been doing sardines a lot too and that's been low-key kind I'm of fun. I'm a fish girl at heart through and Dude, through. Same. So same. Tinned fish. I also always bring tinned fish to the point where my friends make fun of me for always having some sort okay. of tinned packaged fish. 
I am that girl in my friend group. I am like the olive girly who cannot shut up about how much I love it. And then I also love tin fish. Like I cannot get enough of it. Caroline, you're a woman of my own heart. (laughs) I have like literally I bought a pair of pants and I well, I rented them at first and they have like fish, olives, like all the like snackies that I love. And everyone was like, those are your pants. You can't get rid of them. So I had to buy them. And anyway, I'll show you a picture of them off air, but they're really, they're all my favorite foods. And I think you should bring them biking because that makes it way more fun. Yes, 100%. Oh, I love that. Um, The cookbook that I got, it's called Feed Zone Portables. And I would really recommend it. You could get it for like 10 bucks off of Amazon. And it has all these recipes, sweet and savory, that you could do to like prep for, I don't know, real food that you can bring along. Oh, I will have to check that out. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the build-up rides that you mentioned. I think one thing that can be really intimidating for people wanting to get into bikepacking is I don't know if I can ride 30, 40, 50 miles, let alone multiple days in a row. How did you get to the point where you were comfortable doing that? Yeah. Um, for build-up rides, I would definitely recommend it's like you know marathon training. You don't actually have to ride the distance of your biggest day until your biggest day. That's okay. And also keeping in mind that when you're bikepacking, at least the way I bikepack is I have nothing on my agenda other than to ride my bike. And especially if you're going on a trip in the summertime in the Northern Hemisphere, you have so many hours of daylight. Like as long as you get to camp before dark, it's all good. So if you want to, you know, just ride super hard get to your destination in a really kind of, I would say not aggressive, but maybe. <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying. Time, um, <laughs> then you totally can and you can hang out, go for day hikes in the area. But if you want to just pedal going like six miles an hour, enjoying the views, feeling the breeze through your helmet, like go for it. That's all you have going on. You can stop, you can have lunch. Like you don't need to feel so stressed about getting to camp as soon as possible. Like just enjoy being out there. That's something that I also have to remind myself about quite often. Yeah. Especially if you like haven't gotten gaslit by bikepacking.com and you do a nice job researching your route, then you'll have an even better time. I cannot emphasize that enough. The like prep work will make the day-to-day on the trip so much better. Yeah. I would also probably let people know to your point about again bikepacking.com gaslighting people the pictures are always going to show the best gravel on the ride there are never going to be pictures of the most difficult chunky spot unless the background is also stunning but a lot of the time your hardest parts of the ride make you feel like you are just in a tunnel so be prepared for that um for sure because those parts are photogenic We have to talk about this because I felt like this was really challenging for me. Can we talk about how you look at or even predict the gravel quality and how you kind of like use that variable in your training? I It was so hard for me to figure that out. Yeah. um, So in Salt Lake City, at least, we don't have, in my opinion, that much access to different varieties of gravel and terrain. We have like one really decent stretch um, that's like 30 minutes away from town, or you can go like way out to the West Desert and try your your hand out there. But 
I think just being mentally prepared again of like, I'm going to just do whatever the day hands my way. And if it's too hard, I can always walk my bike. There's no shame in that. I can rest and refuel and hydrate um, and just take it from there step by step or pedal stroke by pedal stroke. Oh, I love that. I also love the point of like the pictures you see are going to have the best gravel. And that's why it's really important to maybe hit up Reddit or maybe someone that's like in the area or has some experience with riding over there. Even if you don't even know the person, that information is so valuable. So I think that's crazy good advice. Yeah, I definitely Strava stalk people who are, have done either segments or the entire route that I've done. No one will give you a better trip report than someone on Strava. They will tell you like it is. And I really appreciate that about the Strava community. Wow, that's such a good point. Even outside of gravel riding, like trail running and all that other stuff, that's such a good point. I've never done that. And that is, I think that's a huge key. And Instagram. Instagram is actually like, I learned that from my partner. He's like, yeah, if we're going to do a peak, like let's check it out and see what the conditions are like. I'm like, I didn't even consider that I could do that, but now I know. (laughs) In hindsight, right? Um, okay. I want to hear about other nitty gritty fun things about your trip. So like looking back on it, I want to like, how do you feel like it went? Would you do anything differently? Yeah, I think that's a great question. The trip overall went about as well as I could. One of the fun, magical aspects of solo travel is I feel like it's so easy in our day-to-day life to, get really caught up in our own routines and, oh, why isn't this person in line going faster? Or, oh, the world is so scary these days. I need to be careful. And yet whenever I solo travel and solo bike pack, my perspective of the way the universe works in its entirety just shifts. I'm like, wow, people are so kind. They're so giving. They're so generous. I was shocked because of the amount of people in Idaho, a lot of people are on side-by-sides, they're in their trucks. And I've had some experiences in Utah where these motor vehicle um, drivers haven't been that courteous. People in Idaho gave me so much space. They would check in. If it was a hot day, they'd say, do you need water? Are you good? Do you need a ride? Or they would just cheer you on on a really difficult climb. Like, that's badass. (laughs) And just had the best interaction with complete and total strangers. And I also did have a trail angel at one point um, on the climb on my biggest day. It was the 70 mile ride with an insane amount of vert in like 15 miles. And nearing the top, this van pulled over next to me and he was just like, hey, it's pretty hot outside. Are you good on water? Do you need anything? And for a second, I was about to like minimize my own needs and be like, no, I'm fine. And also thinking of safety, like, I don't know, what do I do? But then I took a deep breath, realized that both of my water bottles in my vest were out and I did have more water on my frame, but I was like, you know what? This is an incredible opportunity. I'm going to take him up on it. And it was the most pure ice cold water that has ever touched my lips (laughs) in my lifetime. Um, so shout out to my trail angel in his red Mercedes sprinter. Um, it was just so fantastic. Um, and he later on in the ride, I was going down descending into McCall and he actually drove back up and he was like, I don't want to make you feel like, like, I don't think you can't do this. I just was thinking that if my daughter was doing this, I'd want someone to make sure she got into town. Okay. Too. 
Like it was just so sweet and pure. And I didn't see him after that. I was like, did I hallucinate this man? Is he real? Like I had no idea. (laughs) I was like keeping an eye out for this sprinter the rest of the night and the next day and didn't see him. So again, really grateful for the kindness of other people. Um, But that's always something that's really surprising about these trips. Um, What else went well was just letting myself take time and rest when I wanted to, enjoy the sights. On my biggest day, I made a point to get in the water, get in a hot spring, because it can be easy on these routes to just kind of bypass cool things that are nearby because you're feeling really objective driven. And so I just reminded myself, I'll get there. It's fine. I have a tent. I can camp literally wherever (laughs) to some extent. So we'll be good. Um, Things that I could have done better, um, back to the point of like researching and getting your information from multiple sources. I wish I had done more research on campsites along my route. I had only looked at like a couple of ride with GPS routes. And then while I was in the middle of McCall, saw that there were like a million other places I could have camped along the ride. So I maybe wouldn't have had to do a 70 mile day (laughs) with a ton of climbing. We had like a super similar experience like that where we kind of pulled an audible and I'm like, I really, really wish I would have just taken an extra hour to see like and written them down, like physically either like put them in my garment as like little pins or like because I didn't have self-service at all on our trip or like literally brought a map and like a compass and yeah. marked physically marked down where I could go because and I know that sounds really basic, but like in this day and age, I just don't even think we need that anymore. And then I got in a situation where I needed it. And I wish I had written down bailout options, cities with good like gas station restaurants, because where we were, it was like not super easy to find that stuff. And then good campsites along the way, not just the two that bikepacking.com mentioned. Totally. And I think on that note as well, with writing things down or having some physical copy, I know I was guilty of this for years. I didn't know my partner's phone number by memory for years because I've never had to. I've always had my phone. I think planning on your technology failing you at some point as a possibility is really important. So making sure that you have your emergency contacts, if you don't have those numbers memorized, which you probably should, but just in case you don't, um, having it written down somewhere. And that could also be helpful in case you get knocked unconscious and someone can find that on your person. So yeah, I know it totally. sometimes feels a little extra to be thinking of that many worst case scenarios all at once, but it's really not that bad. It's okay. Right. And I also think like paying attention while you ride, like if you notice, I don't know, we passed, I always try to like make a note of the city we just passed. So I don't know how your route was, but like we went through a lot of like smaller rural towns and that was really helpful because I, that's basically how we got home. I was like, I remember Clam Lake. I remember that. I think I can figure out how to get there based off of road signs, like highway signs. And that's mm-hmm. how, what we did. We just navigated at home. So just that little like 30 seconds of, okay, I think I'm just west of X city make a mental note. I think that stuff pays off. And even if you don't do it, if you like get in the habit of doing it, it eventually will come in handy. 100%. I could not agree more. I think the last big question I just want to hit is gear. I think biking is a gear heavy sport. It's a little intimidating and can be expensive. 
what were pieces of gear that were like really crucial and then pieces of gear that were more splurge for you? Yeah, you bring up such a good point about the cost barrier to entry in cycling as a whole, but especially something like bikepacking. And I want to be totally transparent that my gear I have accumulated and kind of curated over the course of like six years. So, you know, if folks have the means to go out and buy all the things, that's so cool. And I'm so jealous, but for a lot of us, it is a multi-year process of getting things together. Um, I think at this point, I do believe that my gear for my current setup is really great. There's always improvements that can be made, but um, I recently got a pair of Surly Moloko bars. And so they're kind of unusual, but they allow for a bag to go in the center of the bars and on the very front of the bars. And I have loved that because now I have just a built-in little feed bag for myself up front, as well as um, I have this thing called Fabio's Chest. And it's made by a really great small bike brand that I believe used to partner with Swift Industries. And I've had that chest for, I want to say, four or five years at this point. And you can fit so much in it. I always like to keep my food up front. I would ideally put it in my frame if I had a full-sized frame bag, but I have not gotten around to sewing myself one yet. So That's also another thing to keep in mind. If you have access to a sewing machine and materials, like you can totally DIY some of your own bags. Um, I've done that in the past. And one of the bike bags I brought for this trip, I made again the day before the trip to fit my tent. (laughs) I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants, Caroline. It's fine. (laughs) I so love it. I so love this energy. Okay. So we did, I had a friend, he did not want to buy. So I, I got like a back, I guess I wasn't bike packing. I was more bike touring. And that gets a little picky, but I had like a back derailleur and then two side bags that go on it. Yeah. They're just like the classic ones, the Ortolab ones. But he, my friend, (laughs) I would so highly recommend them. I think I got mine over the Memorial Day REI sale and they're like waterproof. They're like two dry bags and I brought them canoeing like two weeks ago. They're really like functional bags. Um, But my friend bought an old burly, like the old school, like what you put kids in. And he was yep. like, yeah, I, I don't want to buy like the expensive bags and I can just put this on the back of my bike. And it was, yeah, a little slow going, but it was hilarious. And like, it worked, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, like sometimes you can always aspire to have the best gear, but the best gear is the gear that you have. The best bike is the bike that you have. And when you're able to, you know, upgrade or make changes based on preference, that's the time to do it. But I highly recommend folks just don't let gear be the thing that holds them back. Gear can definitely make things more enjoyable, but you can still have a great time regardless. Um, And I love that your friend brought their burly (laughs) child carrier. He found it on like Facebook Marketplace for literally $25. What a steal. I love that. Yeah. Insane. One thing I will note is like a couple things that I would splurge on that were big for us are like your um, tire repair stuff and like things that are really critical to the trip itself. So like nutrition, like having a nice vest. I have two of them. I have a Solomon one and then I have like an REI one. Um, That's huge. That's a hundred bucks. That's like really well spent. And then um, 
having like the right tubes, which are really cheap to find, but like that stuff, having a system where you can change your own tire and investing in that, I think is so, so huge. Something you're comfortable using. Yes. Oh, that's such a great point. Um, Partially because it reminds me of our girls Sky Islands Odyssey trip where everyone except one person had brought tubes and none of our tubes fit that person's tire. (laughs) We uh, we did a lot of um, MacGyvering on our end to make things work to get her out of there. Um, So that's a great point. And yeah, if we want, we can talk about like critical gear that I recommend. Um, But I have noticed like you said with the whole rear rack and panniers it's making a comeback you guys um it was kind of out of vogue for a little while people were really into the kind of seat bag saddle bag style um but the panniers are awesome that's what i took on my solo trip and that's what i've been bikepacking with this past summer and you can just fit so much in there depending on what liter size bag you get there and it feels really comfortable and stable So I couldn't recommend it more. Yeah, I think especially when you're starting, one thing with bikepacking that's different than just riding your bike normally is the weight. You have extra weight. And so like your bike may like break differently or like I fell a lot more on my trip than I ever had cycling ever before. And it's because I had so much weight on my bike. And so it's nice to have it kind of over the back of your bike or like kind of under your hips because you have a little more control. Um, So I would just think about that. Like don't don't underestimate like the weight aspect of your bike and how that can kind of like change the game. Cause gravel biking can also feel like kind of rough and rowdy. And like, if you have a lot of weight that's weirdly distributed, like you're going to maybe take some tumbles, which is fine. But like, yeah, it just was a, something that made my life a little bit easier. Yeah. That actually reminds me something I would have done differently also is I would have checked the bolts on my rack twice a day. I only checked them in the mornings and it wasn't until the day that I was riding out of McCall or about to that I realized I had shaken loose like three bolts from my rear rack and it was hanging on by the grace of some other (laughs) worldly being like it should not have still been on the back of my bike and it was and when I went into the bike shop the mechanic was just like are you sure? You know, I'm like, yes, I I know. I know. You're like, don't at me right now. I didn't. Okay. Which is why I'm here. And they hooked me up. They were very kind, but there was a moment of like, all right, sister, let's yeah. stay on top screw, of it. Screw that brain on a little tighter along with your rear yeah. rack. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Good point though. Bring extra or buy an extra bag of those. Um, key parts like those screws that screw into your rear rack that's such a good call and bring a couple extra tubes couple extra like little nitrogen tanks like it's good to have multiple because then when you actually have to use it you're not stressed about doing it correctly I think that's a big thing yeah 100 percent. yeah bringing extra bolts washers making sure you have a good multi-tool um bacon strips we love bacon strips wait what are those I have no Um, idea Yeah, for folks who run tubeless, um, you bring, they're called bacon strips, but they just are these kind of gross looking like dog food treat (laughs) bacon strips that you use to plug your tire with. So you also have to have this like pokey tool and you find the hole and you just punch it in and you let it flatten out as you just ride on the tire. And that's been a huge lifesaver for me when my sealant hasn't been quite enough. 
That is crazy. I'm not a tubeless queen. So I, but I appreciate that. That's such a good point. Okay. Let's talk about your other critical pieces of gear. Um, other things that have like, maybe not on this trip, but other trips have been really important for you. Um, yeah. Earplugs are a huge thing. Um, partially because unless you spend a lot of time camping in a tent, um, I am very, a very sensitive sleeper. I'm a very light sleeper. I'm sensitive to sound and you can bet that if I don't have my earplugs in the entire night, I hear the tiniest crack in the woods and I'm like, I'm about to get murdered. So I'm of the opinion that I would so much rather just be blissfully asleep, not hearing anything when a bear eats me alive rather than to be stressed the entire time it's walking towards me. And, you know, nine out of 10 times, it's actually a raccoon or a deer or a squirrel. So I don't need to get myself worked up like that. That okay. It's funny you said earplugs because I brought them on our bike packing trip and I slept literally the best I've ever slept on a camping trip in my life. I brought an eye mask and earplugs and I slept like a freaking rock. And I think I literally didn't even change my clothes. I was so exhausted and it was so buggy on our trip that I literally put the tent up in 30 seconds and crawled in there and did not leave. I didn't like, and I just curled myself up and I slept so well. <laughs> Oh, it makes all the difference. Yeah. I Also the eye mask. What a pro tip. I love that. I have a satin I'm, one from Target. It does the trick. Perfect. Oh, that sounds so good. Um, yeah, totally. We would also recommend bringing an audiobook or downloading quite a few audiobooks, some of your favorite playlists. I mean, it's great and all to spend a lot of time with yourself, but in most cases, if you're going on a solo trip, you've got days to talk to yourself or listen to your own thoughts. So it's nice to break it up. Um, I had a lot of fun, got through like four books on my ride, which I was not expecting to do and got to go into my book club feeling awesome. Feeling (laughs) well-read. Yes. Yes, indeed. It was, I was like, oh, how many books did you guys read? Oh, just you should two. do like a you should just do like a mile to book ratio and like see like how many you know what I mean find that number because that'd be like so fun to know. Oh, now I'm I'm gonna go and dig that out. I will I'll get the figures for you and send please. It over. I would love to see the analytics. Send them our way. <laughs> um, I just downloaded another book. I'm a big audiobook girl when I run because it's like a little treat. It's like a little surprise. So I like it when you bike too because honestly when you're in these rural areas it's kind of nice to have like a noise that is you I don't know if that makes any sense at all but it Mm -hmm. almost like lets other people know that like you are around yes 100 percent um there was one point on the last day of my ride where it was so beautiful and the things that you do when you're traveling solo compared to when you're with other people like what would normally be incredible because there's no people out on the trail, no one that I'd seen for over an hour and a half on this gravel road was terrifying by myself. It was this like densely wooded area. And I just ended up hooting and hollering for like, I don't know, the next hour, almost lost my voice doing it. But yeah, it's just, you know, you got to hear yourself. You have to make sure noise is being made and heard. And by the end of it, I was like, you know what? I can just be a woo girl. I will woo my way down this mountain. And I love that. I love that. Yeah. We'll do like, um, 
Taylor Swift. I know she's like our our queen of the year. Everyone's sick of her by now, but I will we'll just like sc- literally scream Taylor Swift songs because they're comforting. You know the words, and it doesn't matter, and it helps people know and animals know that you're around. And like, I don't know. I think little stuff like that gives you the confidence to keep moving forward, and that's what you need when you're biking and you're solo. You just need to keep moving forward. Totally. Oh. I love love that you're listening to some T-Swift. So fun. Love her. Just bought tickets for the movie and that is even sold out, which I'm like, we need to like have more content from her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'll have to let me know how that is. I did not get tickets. Okay. Thank you so much for all your insight. Do you have any other like burning things that you really want our audience to know? I feel like we've covered a ton. No, just thank you so much for your time. Just listen to yourself your body and like keep pedaling it's so fun oh my god i could not love that more amazing you can find us over at in her nature pod on instagram and tiktok if you like today's episode please share it with a friend rate and review us where you listen we are currently looking for podcast sponsors and advertising partners that align well with our brand so reach out if you'd like to work with us music today by tommy z with the porch flowers and our logo is done by the amazing riley johnson at rej.creative don't forget the stuff is in your nature